One thing I think people on the outside remember about you when they read stories and see you on television is the fact that you own so many or have so many Rolls Royces. Why, why is that? How many? 80? No. 40? 90. <laughs> and there are not so many. For right. me, there is nothing. Why do you need 90? I don't need even a single one. And they don't belong to me either. But my people want. They want 365, one for every day. And I go for a drive only for one hour. But if my people want it, if they are happy and rejoice doing it, I don't want to destroy their joy. Couldn't it you, is perfectly okay. Couldn't you tell them to give their money for something else other than for a rose rose? All other religions are doing that. Let them do that, their work. Let me do my work. All other religions are looking after the poor. At least leave me alone to look after the rich. are rich. In fact, only the very rich, educated, intelligent, cultured can understand what I am saying. Beggars cannot come to me. Poor people cannot come to me. The gap is too big. They can hear me, but they cannot understand me. So it is natural. I am the rich man's guru. There is no question of contradiction. I am simply against them. I don't want to be consistent with them. I want to dry, drop all connections with the past. They have done enough harm. My conception of a beautiful flowering being is not that of austerity. It is of luxury. He will enjoy all that is beautiful in the world. Great paintings, great music, poetry. I don't conceive him standing on his head in the hot sun of Oregon. Fasting, is slowly destructing himself, destroying himself. To me, all religions of the world up to now have been sadomasochistic. My religion is for the first time life-affirming.
Hi, I'm sorry to bother you, but like I'm kind of confused right now. I'm in this, I'm in like a room. There's all this equipment. I think it's a radio station, but I have the life of me do not know why I'm here. <laughs> you have a radio show, honey. Huh? I have a radio show. See, it's called Barbarian in the Valley. Ooh, that's a good name. I. How long have I been doing this for? Not long, but it's every Sunday from noon to two. Wow. And what is the show about? I have no idea. Huh. Good show. Is it good? It is good. Yeah. Wow, I yeah. want to listen to it. Can I listen to it? Um. Yeah, you can. You can podcast. Are you? You have podcasted it, so. Did I do that? I put you it on. Did. Well, I don't even know I had a radio show. This is awesome. Now, when you were working at the Soho Grand, were you also living in a van on Grand Street? That, yeah, that, I did that a lot too. Yeah, yeah. With Gary, right? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Whose van was it? Um, that was the Laps van. I had a van. It was like a black GMC van, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and we were kind of in between places. So you were just like sleep there and use the bathroom in the hotel, basically. I had um, I was uh, I'm an alumni from uh, NYU, so I had um, gym membership at NYU for six hundred bucks a year, 
And so I had a locker there. And I would shower and swim and sauna and do all that stuff. Did the cops ever bother you? Did they ever see that you were in the van? That's where Gary is good, because he's really charming. So if, like, some, if a cop would come over, he'd be like, oh, and they'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. You know? <laughs> but that was for months, wasn't it? That you were in that van? Yeah, yeah. Gary, it's Norm. Yo, what's up, dude? How you doing? Today Monday? It is Monday. <laughs> it is Monday. Cool. I interviewed Chrissy as his time cocktail waitering um, at the Soho Grand and the Tribeca Grand. And you guys had, for kind of a summer, had lived in a van around the corner from the hotel. Is that right? Me and Chrissy lived in a van? Yeah. I mean... Were we torn? What summer was it? We lived a good amount in the van. I mean, well, there was a time that you guys were working down at Soho Grand that you were kind of living in a van, weren't you? Shoot, that might have been like uh, pre. It was just maybe pre nine eleven. It was. Oh yeah, yeah. Always remember. Never forget. Always remember. Never forget. Let me tell you, I don't think you could have gotten away with it after nine eleven. But you don't remember that, huh? Well, I will. We weren't necessarily living out of the van. I'm trying listen, to think what apartment I was listen, possibly in. Like we, we listen, Gary, Gary, yeah. Gary. Hold on. Before you get too too excited here, I, I, I'm not saying you guys were a couple. I'm just saying that you guys <laughs> were living. Well, I don't know why. I don't know why the denials. Cool. This weird denial right. is going on. But Chrissy, Chrissy's pretty sure this happened. Uh, hey, yeah, let, I, let's I let's 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 move on to something you might actually remember. <laughs> So back in the thousands when I was a tour guide in New York City on the double-decker buses, you know, we would get charters every once in a while. And sometimes you wouldn't even talk. Like, you would just be with the bus and make sure the microphone worked for the people toasting the wedding and that no one got up and got hurt. You know, because you're up on this bus and you're really near these streetlights, so if you get up, you can get your head knocked. One fall I go in and the dispatcher calls me in and says he's got a special charter for me. And it turns out that I'm gonna be the guide on the Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Macy's Fashion Week charter bus night out. And I'm gonna be working with this driver, Chirac. And Chirac was like a rock. Big, broad smile. Very handsome, really strong, always so well-dressed. And just full of like positive energy. Now, here's the thing. I did not like Puff Daddy. You know, this kind of thug life, like big money worshiping, aspirational thing. At that time, I just, I, th- I saw him as the enemy. But I thought, you know, I'll probably have just like no real interface. I couldn't figure exactly out what the charter was. First, we had to go to Queens because we had to get the bus covered in advertising for Puff Daddy's clothing brand. We are the only double-decker bus in history to go over the Queensboro Bridge. And when we were going up through the Queensboro Bridge, it became really obvious why you would never take a tour bus, a double-decker tour bus, over that bridge. Because we were inches away from getting stuck in the bridge. And then we had to get on the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway. Now, the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway, the clearance felt like even lower than the Queensboro Bridge. We hit, this is the system we came up with. I'm in the stairwell of the double-decker bus. And every time we get near a bridge, like an overpass... I would jump out of the bus and look to see how close we were to getting stuck. 
And if I felt like we were going to really get stuck underneath the overpass, I would yell to Chirac and say, you got to stop the bus. We're never going to get through this. You know, we never did get stuck, and it was, but it was close. And I'm not really sure what was going through our heads. I don't feel like we got any direction on this. We were basically given a couple addresses and say, go do this. And it was kind of exhilarating for both Chirac and I. And so we were having kind of a great day that day together. Then we roll over to Macy's in Brooklyn, in the Fulton Mall. And this is where we pick up the first people who are going to be on this Puff Daddy fashion night out thing. And it's really not a lot of people. Like, it's like five or six people. No one seems to want to get on the bus. There's even someone in the promotional thing who's talking to people passing by and saying, you want to get on Puff Daddy's fashion night out bus? And they just keep, no, they're like, no, they keep walking. I remember there's this one guy in the front of the bus. He's got this pencil-thin mustache. He's real dapper. You know, he's got like spats on his shoes. He's got this great silk shirt. And he's probably in his 50s and he's real grouchy. You know, he's just kind of grouchy. He's one of these grouchy guys. He's like, my nephew and my niece, I spent $6,000 on Macy's stuff to get me, my nephew and my niece on this bus. Now my nephew and niece, they're not even coming. They're standing me up. To get on this bus, one thing you could do is if you spent $2,000 at Macy's, you could get a seat. So this poor guy spent $6,000 at Macy's, which is kind of hard to do. And his nephew and niece aren't showing up. And he's just, I'm just thinking, wow, this is just some pathetic scene. You know, when the dispatcher told me about Puff Daddy, I mean, even I, who didn't really like Puff Daddy, thought, well, this will be at least kind of glamorous, right? And we're sitting there in the Fulton Mall with six or seven people. No one wants to get on the bus. And I think, wow, this is, this is really going to be sad and pathetic. But then we roll into the city. We roll into Manhattan and we go up to the Herald Square Macy's, the big one. And before I know it, the bus is just totally jammed up like upstairs and downstairs like I think I I turned around and this huge crowd came out of the Herald Square Macy's and onto the bus you know got corralled on the bus and you know part of this crowd's actually really hip I don't really know if I knew if Puff Daddy was going to be on the bus or not but that's who we're waiting for it becomes really clear and Chirac downstairs the driver I think Puff Daddy had a liquor named Chirac so he just thinks that they're going to hit it off really good you know Puff Daddy's an icon we're going to get a huge tip and then maybe some kind of long-term relationship with Puff Daddy. I already know that the route from Macy's and Herald Square to the after party is the worst route in the city for streetlights. 34th Street is a terrible low streetlight thing. They hang super low. I mean, people sitting down get scared. But the only worst part that I was ever in in Manhattan for streetlights was going up Madison Avenue. But I think, you know what, I'm a seasoned tour guide. I can figure this out. Well, all of a sudden, like a blur out of this Bentley, pops Puff Daddy and three bodyguards. And he gets on the bus, and the bus is going all of a sudden. I'm like downstairs. I had to run upstairs after him. And he is now in the back of the bus, standing on the seats. And the music is starting to go really loud. And he starts rapping over the music. Like he is clearly in the way to get his head knocked off. And I'm faced with this really this thing now, kind of up to me to save Puff Daddy's life. And even in that moment, I'm thinking, you know, you want to save people's lives if they're in danger. But also, I'm saving the life of someone who really represents everything I don't like about the city. But, you know, due to my higher moral stance, I run to the back. I'm like, I'm trying to like pull on Puff Daddy, kind of pull him down. Not like spastically, but like kind of like tug on him and say, you really have to sit down. And the bodyguard kind of edges me out. He's not aggressive or mean about it, but he kind of edges me out. And I say, listen, if you don't pull Puff Daddy down, he's going to get hurt. Like, he could get killed. 
And I'm right in front of Puff Daddy, and he's got his dark sunglasses on, and he's probably lip-syncing over whatever the track is. And it was very loud. I mean, everyone around in the neighborhood is watching this go by. And I look up at Puff Daddy, and it's almost like this, he's a body double or something. Like, there's almost something robotic about Puff Daddy. He's not taking anything in. And I'm looking up as we're going, I'm backwards, I'm looking backwards, and I'm also worried about the lights. And Puff Daddy, I gotta say, he was so cool. I mean, he's rapping, he's probably lip syncing, but he's just like grooving. He's just grooving around these streetlights. He sees them, he sees them come up, and he just moves around it, right? Because it's, when, when you think about it, it's not that hard to avoid a streetlight. If you see it coming, you just kinda kinda groove, bob and weave like a boxer. And he's grooving up Madison Avenue. He's avoiding those lights up Madison Avenue. And then we get to the place where we're going to get off, which I think was an art gallery on Madison Avenue. And Puff Daddy, boy, he was like, a, again, like a blur. His bodyguards got him off that bus so fast. Chirac, who was, had turned to really like try to connect with Puff Daddy, boy, he was left in the dust. And we did not get a red cent in terms of a tip. And Chirac, who was always so cheerful, you couldn't help but notice how like depressed he was about it. I remember getting off the bus and um, this car went by and had this super loud horn, like like very much a custom horn. It just went and just made me kind of jump into my own skin. And I just thought, oh, this is, I love Manhattan. This is everything I do not like about Manhattan. And I just went to the subway. I was just happy to go home to Brooklyn. We're coming up out of the valley now, back home to our barbarian lair. Damage in the valley has officially been done. Just a reminder that starting at 1 o'clock, we'll be discussing the idea of guaranteed income by the government. Do you think that a guaranteed income will bring more cohesion and meaning in society, or will it lead to more isolation and despair? The number to call will be 413-545-3691. That's 413-545-3691, starting at about 1 o'clock. In the meantime, enjoy my new obsession, Mongolian metal. <laughs> <laughs> 